0: a happy hour with Julie and Liz.
1: So Liz, yes, before we get to this week in 1980s history, what was the result of our poll from last week, Def Leppard versus Depeche Mode?
0: So I I
1: didn't count, but <laughs> oh, I bet you did it. Did you I count? You did. Yes, it was overwhelmingly in favor okay. of Def Leppard. Whatever.
0: All it all that says is that people who favor Def Leopard over Depeche Mode are more likely to be on Twitter and respond. That's all it means. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I want to give a shout out to our follower Big Daddy Geo who tweeted at me that Depeche Mode is going to um, go on tour again for the first time in five years. So Julie, do you want to go with me? Thanks Should we go for, to a
1: concert? Thanks for the warning. <laughs> thanks for the warning. No. What? Uh, (laughs) They play the same song over and over. Oh my God. feels like it. Shut it. You need to shut it right now. Fake news. Fake news. (laughs) Fake news. You, Liz, are fake news. Okay, so quickly, uh, this week, I guess we should say in 80s history. Well, on October 6th, 1987, which was such a great year. Thirty five years yep. ago, Taylor Dane released her debut single, Tell It to My Heart. That was a good one. Yep. And it had a good video to go with it. She had Well, it's Taylor Dane, so of course. She had some moves going. Um, what else do we have? Mike and Mechanics released their self titled album on October fifth, nineteen eighty five. So what did that have on it, Mike and the Mechanics?
0: I'm trying to remember. I can't say I was a huge fan.
1: No, I wasn't. Like,
0: I don't know their album. Like, I don't know their hits.
1: I can hear the song, but I can't.
0: I'm, gonna, I'm Googling it right now.
1: Uh, Belinda Carlisle also released her second solo album, uh, album, Heaven on Earth. That was okay. She was all right.
0: Um, all I Need is a Miracle, that one. All I Need is a Miracle. <laughs> I have a terrible voice. Oh, my God. That's Mike and the Mechanics. What's the story about the dad dying, though? That was on that. Oh, I don't know. Like, I I wasn't a huge
1: fan, so I couldn't tell you about that. Now, this is a good one. October 3rd, 1983, Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson released Say, Say, Say. Okay, that's a good song. That was good and had a cute little video to go with it. I think they were like um, sales, like carnival salesman or something.
0: Yeah. By the way, if you're listening to our podcast and you're not a Gen Xer, like you're a Millennial or a Gen Zer, so back in the real t- the real time, back in like legitimate culture, um, there were videos that accompanied music, and we would watch a cable station called MTV that would play videos of so- of the music of the songs all day with their videos, and so we would not only know our songs and sing the lyrics, but we would watch videos. So. A lot of us identify songs with their videos. So um, nowadays, MTV is just, is a re- like a, don't they just do reality shows on MTV
1: now? Um, so I'm I believe so. So much to the point where about a year ago, and this was probably during lockdown, my oldest daughter, who is a Gen Xer at heart and loves her 80s music and you know some of her 80s like old school clothes, like she's a real fashionista. She's like, um, mom. Why, uh, what did she ask me? Um, or was it VH1? Something about like, what did, what, what's the, what does the V stand for? I was like, well, videos. Oh my God. <laughs> she said that? Yes. <laughs> We're so old. So video old.
0: killed the radio star. <laughs> that right? Video.
1: Video, that's right. Yes, that was it. That was the first the best video.
0: I don't know. I know the, that was the first one ever broadcast on MTV, but which stood for Music Television, by the way. What uh, what, what was it? I don't know what the second one was.
1: I believe it was uh, Turning Japanese.
0: Oh, that's a great song too. Oh. Oh, God, you're. Oh, they don't
1: make
0: they don't make music like they used to. You know. They just they don't just
1: make just, anything. Well, they don't make the country like they used to.
0: That's true. They don't make people and citizens like they used to. <laughs>
1: Speaking of, we don't make countries like we used to, our president was on um, quite the tear this week in Florida, humiliating himself and everyone who has to call him president.
0: Did he have his pants on backwards? I, I saw okay, a video where it looked like that? his pants were on back, backwards.
1: Can you explain that, where there's video of him with his pants on backwards?
0: I all I know cuz I was off of yesterday I was off the computer for the most part cuz it was Yom Kippur but after sundown um Ace showed me this video of our um of Biden and like he had pants on but like the pockets were in the wrong direction so like instead of like putting your hands down forward in your pocket they would be like you'd have to put them back like over your butt cheeks not that I think he is above that, but it was notable that there's a video that makes it look like whoever dresses him, his wet nurse or whatever he has, Jill um, put his pants on backwards. So I don't know. I can't, I don't know if that event was at the, when he was down in Florida, like in the shadow of the magnificent Ron DeSantis, peace be upon him. Um, But he went down to Florida to look like he's you know, engaged in the events of our country. And Ron DeSantis was there who's just been amazing with the, dealing with this horrific tragedy. And he did say that he did give DeSantis credit for the way that he had, had prepared and handled the hurricane, but then also told us that now we know for sure that this is global warming, which we, we really don't know that for sure, but you know, it's like,
1: we know that for sure. So he basically said that, so at first he kind of gives Ron DeSantis credit. He's done a pretty remarkable job. Then he walks away from the podium to tell a reporter that the one (laughs) thing that Ron DeSantis has learned is that this was caused by global warming now he also said that in the podium with ron DeSantis standing behind him so you know he thinks like this is some sort of sick burn um big what the governor has done is pretty remarkable so far biden babbles then walks sort of away from the governor the biggest thing the governor has done is recognize that there's this thing called global warming and you know you could see behind him the devastation and he's just such a vile, petty, vindictive man that he can't even look at these distraught people, their destroyed property, destroyed businesses and homes. He thinks like he's got, you know, he, he's getting in a good one on Ron DeSantis. Um, it just shows, again, what what a vile man Joe Biden is. I did not think I could detest anyone more than Barack Obama, but here we are. I mean, at least Obama no, would disgusting something
0: like that but yeah it was I thought it was pretty um, disgusting but the Democrats are notorious for pol- making you know turning any event into a political opportunity and I always think back of the Paul Wellstone funeral which like turned into a political rally like it was literally a funeral for Paul Wellstone and it was like an actually much more of like a political rally and event. So, um, I mean, I'm not surprised. It's just gross because the devastation in Florida is tremendous. And to have a president come down there and try and score some political points, you know, and get in a zinger, which, first of all, we don't know that this is a global cause of this was from global warming. There was a, a hurricane, I think it was in 1907 in Florida, that was just as bad or worse. But what's changed is that, and this goes with all of these current hurricanes and natural disasters that we have, is that we have more people living here and we have more people living on the coasts. So whereas you would have a terrible hurricane, you know, 100 years ago, there weren't all the houses built up in the areas that were destroyed or islands with bridges and things like that. So it's really hard to say that this hurricane is the result of global Warming. I don't I don't think that that's true. Um, but of course, the left's religion is global warming and DEI and all this other. They have like a new religion and global warming is part of it. And so, of course, I'm sure Biden, whoever tells Biden what to say, wrote a speech and told him you have to say this because um, I'm sure he probably had no idea uh, where he was or even what he was, what he was saying. So oh,
1: remember uh, when the hurricane swept by in Delaware and knocked Joe Biden off of his bike.
0: Oh yeah. <clears throat> Wasn't he, was he hanging out with corn pop when that happened? Um, but he's also, he's a resilient, but Biden's resilient because he is also, he's Puerto Rican. Right. And we just learned that recently where he announced that he was basically raised like in the Puerto Rican community. Um, <laughs> Where does he come up with this shit? I don't know if he's a compulsive liar or he's just delude delusional
1: Um, somehow interject himself because his ego is so massively off the charts and unjustifiably huge that he always has to make something about himself. So yesterday he started talking about some fire that destroyed his house when he was growing up because, you know, he he has to make it about himself because that's what narcissists do. And he said uh, he once lost an awful lot of his home in a fire. That, of course, is, again, another made-up story. According to a report at the time, the lightning strike caused a small fire contained in the kitchen that was under control in 20 minutes. Another lie.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I think, isn't there some rule, and I don't know this because I don't have a background in psychology, but... When you're dealing with someone who's delusional, like, are you supposed to give in to their delusions or do you counter them? Right. Like when you meet, like when I lived in Boston, I would see homeless people and they'd be like, I'm Jesus Christ or I'm Joan of Arc. You know, do you say, no, you're not. Or do you say, oh, it's so nice to meet you, Jesus.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know. So I don't know if you just kind of give in and say, of course, your home was destroyed in a fire when, you know, it really was just like. A small incident, or do you say, of course, hola, Mr. You know, Joe Biden from Puerto Rico, um, because you know he's from Puerto Rico. Uh, I don't even know. This guy is like the gift that keeps on giving, and he's a bunch of events today. Every time I see a bunch of actual events on his schedule where he's going to be publicly speaking. I just know that the next day's news cycle is just going to be filled with gaffs, like videos of him, like walking off the stage, looking around. He holds his hand in that weird position, you know, where he's like yes. clenching his hands. He, I, there's so many pictures of him um, when I'm editing stuff for Am Greatness and I'm looking through Getty images. They're just he just looks like he doesn't know where he is. He's looks confused. He's looking up. I mean, I don't know. We could go on well, and on forever about this.
1: He also sees dead people occasionally at events. Yeah. Jackie.
0: Jackie, hold on. Uh, Jackie's talking to me. Hold on a minute, Julie. I'll be right back. Um, <laughs> you know, where's Jackie? That was um, also very public when he was looking for a congresswoman who had been killed in a car accident like a couple months earlier, uh, who he had, you know, sent out a press release about um, publicly acknowledged her death. So, you know, whatever. Thank God that there is a leader like Ron DeSantis down in Florida, because, you know, we, people look to the president as a sign of strength in, in in tra- you know, among in, in, in tragic times. You know, when we had 9-11 and George Bush was out there, you know, I think he tried to portray like a strength and competence and resiliency and you know, and I, I'm, we're not Bush fans here at all. can't stand the man. But, you know, I think you could see that he was trying to like fit that role, that that's what's appropriate for the time. And so now we have this horrible tragedy in Florida, which of course, there's really nothing Ron DeSantis could have done. It's a fucking hurricane. Um, and he, the, it, it it's so lucky that Florida has someone like DeSantis who is so competent, so that it makes it less worse that the president comes in and you know, he's babbling and talking about global warming. Um, also, I should mention that one of the bridges that was destroyed um, in the in the hurricane, I think it was to the bridge to Sanibel Island, they have built it back up. They have like a temporary bridge now so that the and island is in.
1: I think too.
0: I'm sorry, say that again.
1: I think to Pine Island as well, which was okay. also really <laughs> destroyed.
0: Yeah in two days or three days, this guy has gotten the bridge built. Um, So, and look, I mean,
1: as you know, Liz, I, we have a place in Naples, we're inland. So fortunately our place is fine, but I have friends who have places by the beach. And I mean, it is the devastation as my friends. Well, he's my friend too. Husband said it's my husband is it just, it looks like a bomb went off and it really, really does. I mean, it's, The pictures that I'm getting, the videos are just you can't wrap your mind around the sort of destruction, catastrophic destruction that these people along the beach um, have suffered. And, you know, it it probably will never be the same, but it is going to be years to rebuild that area. Um, And so to the fact that things are moving, that they're getting power lines up, that they have, you know, trucks with gas so people can. Fuel their generators. And, you know, these people don't have cars. And so there's people volunteering, you know, to shuttle them around where they need to go. But, um, and the food, is,
0: I mean, there's, tra- you need transportation to get food to these people. The right. water, a lot of water supplies are, are contaminated. Um, they, the hurricanes bring a lot of creatures onto the earth that don't belong there, like snakes and lizards and gross things. I mean, there's okay. just a lot. Yes of devastation.
1: So and there was some looting. And so they tried to get that under control right away. And I mean, you're talking didn't, about... Didn't didn't DeSantis come out and say
0: we're a Second Amendment state? I mean, I love that.
1: Yes. And people are like putting up signs. But, you know, in these areas, when you get, you know, to like Bonita, anywhere, Fort Myers Beach, too, uh, Cape Coral, Bonita, um, like Barefoot Beach, Vanderbilt Beach. I mean, these are you know very wealthy people they have a lot of stuff you know <laughs> i'm sure there's a lot of valuables floating around we saw the mclaren i think it was two million dollar mclaren floating through Ugh. a neighborhood um in bonita Springs. so at any rate you know this is prime primo territory for looters but i think that they've gotten you know the security law enforcement presence that they need there to protect um what needs to be done but anyway so it's going to be but to your point Liz, the way that the democrats and joe biden standing there politicizing it and then at one point he was talking to someone laughing and he's like oh no one fucks with the biden what what does that mean i mean first of all we know that that's not true because your entire family is filled with sexual predators and sexual deviants so i don't even know what that means but aside from that did was he like Making a low key dig about DeSantis, like, oh, no one fucked with me. I'm gonna come and talk about global warming right in front of you. That that'll teach you a lesson.
0: I don't know. There's Miranda Devine had a piece today talking about Tony Bobolinsky's interview with Tucker a couple days ago. And she kind of seemed to indicate that it was Biden's responding to that and to, to Tony Bobolinsky Because he was exchanging words with, I think it was the mayor. Of Fort Myers, does that sound right? And that maybe he was like saying they were talking about that. I don't know. I- I- honestly, I have no idea because I don't think Biden is like in his right mind. So it's hard to say, like, to look at something he says rationally, like, why would he say that? Who knows, right? I mean, he hallucinates dead people. He doesn't, you know, he just like wanders off all the time. Who knows why he said it? It was a weird thing to say on a hot mic, but it was really kind of a weird thing to say there at all, since that kind of talk is just not really helpful to the state that's been so devastated by this. You know, she should have been serious. I mean, look, I'm glad he went there and he didn't pull some shit like he's not going to appear with DeSantis or have a little tantrum and say, you know, I don't want to meet with him. I mean, now, at the before the hurricane hit and they knew it was coming, he The Biden administration called several Democrat mayors in Florida. They did not call DeSantis, though, and they did not call the Republican mayors. And then they finally, I guess, someone from the White House reached out to DeSantis. But, you know, that's just petty shit. And I think that's the kind of thing that normal people really don't like. You know, I mean, everybody's political. People have their political inclinations. But... You know, in the middle of a tragedy, you want to think that these elected officials are looking out for the good of the citizens, right? And so this like gross pol- politicking, you know, it's it's unnecessary. Now, I've been seeing on Twitter from some of the super smart people with blue check marks were talking about how Ron DeSantis was like showing off and bragging about, you know, what he's done and that he was turning it into a political moment. Because he was doing his job, right? Basically, that's what they're complaining about, which is getting in front of a microphone, giving out information on the regular basis, talking about the things that have been accomplished, talking about things that are in progress. This is what we expect of our leaders is that there's a problem and it's in under their purview and that they are actively working to you know, address the problem, and to the to the Democrats and to the left, and the fake Republicans, which are really Democrats, you know, this is like political, right? Because it's making people like him because he seems competent, which we have such a dearth of comp of competent elected officials. So, um, you know, I think people are just going to like DeSantis more after this. Their latest poll that came out today shows him leading. Charlie Chris by 11 points. And so that means it's probably 15 or 20 points because it's pro- the poll is probably juiced. I didn't look at the details of it, I didn't look at the sample, but you know, it's probably more. And DeSantis barely won against that freak, the guy who was caught like oh and it had a drug overdose <laughs> in a hotel room with the gay prostitute or something, that guy.
1: Gillum. Yes. Right. Andrew
0: Gillum. That's right. He that was a very close race. Now, look, he's 11 points ahead. And like I said, it's probably 15 or maybe 20, knowing how they juice it. Now, did you see the video going around um, of these two black guys that were pointing to the fuel truck saying, oh, the fuel truck is here? They said he said, I don't know about anywhere else, but the fuel truck is here. And you know who we're voting for? Ron DeSantis. And I'm a Democrat. I don't know. Did you get to see that video, Julie?
1: Um, Yes, I did. And that was just hilarious and awesome.
0: You can't you can't pay for that. You know what I mean? That is just like priceless
1: uh, Um, campaign stuff. So I want to give a shout out to to Casey DeSantis, his wife, who um, I think has also conducted herself very professionally and very first lady ish, shall we say, in this whole thing. Um, She. she could not contain really her contempt for the Bidens yesterday. I mean, she was like stiff-armed Biden. You know, he was probably going in for a little hug, maybe sniff her hair or do something. And she was like, gave the stiff arm, like shook his hand very briefly, shook Dr. Jill's hand very briefly. There was no like laughing, affection, you know, even nothing for the cameras. And then when Biden was speaking you could just tell she was like seething and then he finished and she gave like literally two and a half claps and then she just put her arms down like she i, I dig her i dig her she did
0: the golf clap like she did she, like this sort of sarcastic clap um she's she seems like a classy lady um but you know i think she knew that this was also Biden looking like a political opportunist. I mean, she knows that. And she knows that her husband is the one that's doing who and, and, and his team and all the people under him, you know, are the ones that are doing the heavy lifting.
1: So, um, and I also want to give a big shout out. And we talked about this this week to our friend, Miranda divine, because she is on fire, nonstop, such a courageous journalist. Um, and, you know, bringing forward the, you know, more Bobolinsky information. And she is just on a tear. And we really, once again, urge people to read her stuff because she's got more good stuff out this week.
0: Yeah, if you, I don't know if our listeners, I'm assuming they did watch the hour-long Tucker interview with Tony Bobolinsky, who was a business partner with the Biden crime syndicate um, and some of their international deals with our mortal enemies, Um, that was very enlightening. Um, We first heard from Tony, Tony Bobulinski in October of 2020, right before the election, when after Twitter and Facebook and Google and all of these social media outlets, like literally censored the, the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop and Tony Bobulinski being a business partner of the Biden's, the Biden family had the also had copies of the documents that and the emails that were on this laptop that the social media elites decided was fake news or Russian disinformation. In fact, many of the most esteemed intelligence community celebrities came out and said that, the laptop seemed like Russian disinformation when they knew it wasn't Russian disinformation. Um, so Tony Bobulinski originally came out in October and said, I have all the receipts. I have copies of these emails. This is true. I spoke with Joe Biden. Joe Biden knew about all my business dealings. Um, and remember Joe Biden came out and said he didn't know anything about Hunter's business dealings. And we know that from Tony Bobolinsky and from the laptop, those are two separate sources that this is false. So Tony Bobolinsky did another interview With Tucker earlier this week, he hasn't really spoken out since October, kind of talking more about the details, talking in detail about the documents he had and the kind of fraud that he alleges the Bidens were committing against him, actually, as a business partner. And, you know, Miranda Devine is all over it. You know, she's been all over that and she was all over the new FBI uh, whistleblowers that are coming out to talk about the weaponization of our intelligence community.
1: Yeah, it's really um, he is very brave, too. And what he revealed this week and people really should watch the one hour interview is that he sat for a five hour interview with the FBI on October 23rd, 2020, um, and explained all of the documents, the records, et cetera, that he had. And of course, the FBI has had the laptop reportedly since December of 2019. Um, and so he sat for this interview and he was told, you know, you are going to, you're going to hear from our people. We're going to direct you to Tim Tebolt, who we now know is, um, compromised, you know, politicized another one out of the Washington field office. Um, I believe that Tim Tebow followed up with, um, Bobolinsky's lawyers. He was expecting to hear more from the FBI in terms of producing more evidence, maybe some more testimony set before a grand jury. And here we are two years later, and he has not heard anything else from the FBI. Now, of course, Tony Bobolinski is under investigation, I'm sure, right? I mean, how could he know? Oh, totally. Oh if of there's course any charges related to the laptop or shady business ceilings, he's gonna be the guy that the FBI is probably gonna try to go after. That's how this FBI works.
0: I think my favorite p- part of the interview that he did with Tucker was when Bobolinsky revealed that while he literally while he was talking to the FBI, um Biden, what is the brother's name? Not Joe Jim. Biden's brother
1: Jim
0: Jim Jim, right, sorry. I'm had a Biden moment myself. Um <laughs> Jim Biden, like literally called Bobolinsky when he was in at the FBI in an interview. Like he looks at his phone and it's it's Jim Biden calling him, and again you have to like go back and look at these at this family. There is literally no reason any of them should be involved in the things they're involved in based on their history and experience. There's just none, other than the fact that they are, um, you know, brokering on their connection to the then Vice President and now the current. Who knows what's going on now, but at the time Biden was Vice President. And there's just no reason. I mean, Hunter was a loser by any by any stretch. You know, he had no reason to, you know, I mean, seriously, my my question is like, let's okay. so just let's play a little mind mind experiment with me. So Republicans went to Congress in November and they are getting serious. They're going to take action. There's going to be the DOJ is going to take you know serious action against this kind of corruption in the Biden family. Would any of the, would any of these people hire Hunter to be their lawyer? Cuz Hunter's a lawyer. Who would hire Hunter Biden as a lawyer? Right? And that tells you all you need to know is that this guy wasn't really hired for his skills, you know. Um right. It's it's all so corrupt. It's all so corrupt, and it's getting exposed. And really, you know, again, we were reminded back a couple months ago, or maybe a month ago, when Mark Zuckerberg was on Joe Rogan, and Joe Rogan asked him about the censoring of the story, and he said, "Oh, so did you censor the Hunter Biden laptop story, like Twitter?" And Mark Zuckerberg said, "No, we did something a little different," and then basically described censorship. Right. Oh well, we just suppressed it so that you you know it didn't get any visibility. <laughs> it's just like okay, so how is that different? So we know that the feds approached Facebook and almost certainly approached Twitter and said you you this is disinformation. You have to like not allow it to be spread, even though the New York Post is a fairly reputable newspaper. It's probably the, I think it's the fourth oldest newspaper in the country, and all someone had to do is call up. Miranda Devine, who I think broke the story, or the editors at the New York Post, or there Tony Bobolinsky, who did it, right? And just say, hey, you know, is this, is this, you know, is this accurate? Because they they have no problem publishing things that we know are now lies, right? Like the Russia collusion hoax and the um, Alpha Bank server scandal and the. Um, Natalia Veselnitskaya visiting Trump Tower uh, to talk about the Magnitsky Act, but saying it was about Hillary Clinton. You know, those things are all our lies and we know they're lies now, but nobody was fact checking that at the social media companies when they let that go on for four fucking years. Um, but now it looks like there's a new new cowboy in town in the social media wild west and that is elon musk is buying twitter
1: so can you explain there or because i was i've been fighting with david french all week can you explain <laughs> well so
0: elon musk offered to buy twitter like months ago and he um gave a price and it was a good price and he bought a lot of shares of twitter and so what happens in that situation is it it was such a good deal that if you're on the board of directors, you, you can be sued if you're a shareholder when the board of directors is not a- acting in the financial interest of the shareholders of the company. When you invest in Twitter, when you invest in any company, you do it to get a return on your money. And so if you find out that the board is like thwarting that, right, by not selling Twitter because they don't like Elon, then you you would probably have a lawsuit on your hand. So anyway. Elon, one of Elon's issues is that you have to disclose things about your company. You don't just go buy a company the way you go into, you know, I would go into like Nordstrom's and buy, you know, a Montclair jacket. Right. You there. I need you would need information. You know, what are your profit losses? Like, what are all the details about your company? So basically, one important detail is how many users do you have? Right. I mean, this is these are it's really critical and essential elements of a company. So. Elon wanted Twitter to say like how many how many users do you have like real users versus how many of them are bots and if you spend any time on Twitter I encourage everyone to just spend maybe 10 to 15 minutes a day cuz it's a devil it's the devil's playground there but you you know that there are so many bots on Twitter there are so many fake accounts and anytime any controversial issue comes out mysteriously there's like an army of people like correcting it you know if it goes against the regime narrative so elon wanted to know how many what percentage of bots because that inflates the number of users right if you say you have i'm just going to throw out a raw number if you say well we have 10 million users and it's there's a big difference if you say well five percent are bots than if you say 20 percent are bots or 30 percent are bots which is probably true so they wouldn't disclose that information to him and i think that was really a he so he said he was going to pull out and in response, Twitter sued him and they said, you can't pull out. And finally, Elon gave in and he is going to buy Twitter for the amount that he originally proposed. But we'll find out how many bots there are, I think. And I'm sure the Twitter employees are covering up their tracks. A lot of people noticed that the well, last time um, when Elon said he was going to buy Twitter and it seemed like things were moving forward, all of a sudden people weren't. Um, shadow banned anymore. They were getting more engagement and retweets and interaction on their posts because they weren't hidden. Because we were pretty certain that the Twitter management is hiding influencers on the right, and all of a sudden they're getting more engagement. All of a sudden they have more followers. Um, all kinds of things were happening. That was unusual. So, you know, I, I'm not sure what will happen. I don't know how well you know, I I can only assume the Twitter people are going to cover their tracks. A bunch of them said they're going to quit. Bye. See ya. Fuck you. Um, good luck. Um, and I'm sure Elon, you know, he's a businessman. He's not gonna, there's not going to be a lot of coddling, you know, extra people just working. They're getting big salaries only to like, you know, make sure the narrative stays on track. So that's where we are. So it looks like Elon's I'm gonna buy Twitter, and the best part, Julie, I'm sure you saw some of these videos, is all of the blue checkmark mafia are just like clutching their pearls, they're wailing and lamenting over how unfair it's gonna be that Elon is gonna let people like speak freely and everyone will be treated equally instead of an advantage being given to like the regime narrative proponents. Um, so they're they're very upset. And there's a rumor he'll let people back who are banned, even Trump. So I don't think Trump will go back, but. You don't.
1: So you think if uh, Elon Musk, if, you know, this all finally goes through, that he won't reinstate Trump's Twitter account?
0: Oh, I think he will, but I don't think Trump will come back.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So you don't think Trump would come back?
0: I don't. I mean, Trump said he isn't going to come back and he has a financial interest in his other social media companies, right? Why would he? Why would he? like move to Twitter and take people away from his platform. I you know? know, I mean, it, right. that doesn't make smart business sense. Now, on the other hand, that's where the people are. I mean, Twitter, is it really for the public? It's really for more media people, which ultimately trickles down to the public and like news stories and narratives. So, um, you know, I think Trump prefers to just directly talk to the people who want to hear him on true social. But again, it's it is important for him to reach as many people as possible. I mean, that's how he won the election is that news outlets like CNN and MSNBC thought it was funny to air Trump things. Right. They thought it was funny that they were making fun of him. It was a like, ha ha ha. Orange man bad. Look at this doofus. But all that did was like expose Trump to more people who were like, yeah, I like that. I, I, I agree with him. Um, so that same thing didn't happen in 2020. He didn't get the same kind of treatment. And so, you know, as a, as a rule, you would think it would be better for Trump to get as much exposure as possible and come to Twitter. But, you know, I think it's a businessman. I don't think he's going to do it. So, well,
1: we'll see. And I have to say, given some of his recent posts on Truth Social, I'm fine with him not being on Twitter because he is. Sort of back in that name calling mode, which I'm not a fan of, especially when you're calling a reporter names after you sat down with her three times and gave her like hours and hours of material to work with. We're talking, of course, about Maggie Haberman, who Trump met not once, not twice, but three times and gave her all sorts of, you know, stuff that she could twist or lie about or, you know, bastardize for her book. But nonetheless, he's calling out. After
0: five years, has this guy not learned, like, why is he talking to Maggie Haberman? Don't, we ask that all the time. Why are you talking to Maggie Haberman or any of these people in the enemy media? I do not understand. But yet he did. He talked to Maggie Haberman. Is he surprised that she, like, knifed him in the back? Why? She did it for five years.
1: So Maggie Haberman, for those who aren't really familiar and. Immersed in all this political stuff like we are, she is New York Times reporter who covered the Trump beat. I think during his first uh, campaign as well. So and she's just a very dour, miserable person as you can imagine. Most New York Times reporters probably are. Um, and, but she's often on, you know, the Sunday shows, MSNBC, CNN, talking about her latest scoop. A lot of them have, of course, been exposed as untrue so um but nonetheless trump apparently sat down with her three times in 2021 to talk with her about his you know presidency he's going to plan to run again talking about people in his administration i think he even talked about jared and ivanka at one point and this is according to maggie haberman she said that trump turned to one of his aides and said she's like my therapist or counselor or something right so Come this on. is something I, I think you and I have maybe discussed privately. I'm not sure we've discussed on the podcast. This is sort of the attraction to Ron DeSantis. You you sense that he wants, he craves the contempt of his enemies in the media. There's no way he would sit down with one, a, a reporter who is comparable to Maggie Haberman and talk with her freewheeling for hours about his family, about his business, about, you know, his political past, future, et cetera. Um, there's still that part of Trump that wants approval from these people. He really thinks he can charm and win them over. And they know that that is who he is. And so they take advantage of it. And he allows it, of course. Um, no, no, it, it's, it, it,
0: it's like at, at what point do you realize that these people are like, as a journalist, their job is to transmit information to the public. These people, that's not what they're doing. That's not their job. Their job is they are political advocates, right? They're activists. They're not there to transmit information. They're not there to like, tell people, this is what I talked to Trump and this is what he said. And they're not there to like, tell his story. They're there to fuck him. And I just don't see any point in talking to them. And, you know, I think DeSantis has a different has a better, more healthy attitude towards the media, which is like he he's coming out. He has information. He's going to tell it to the people that are just going to transmit his information. They're not trying to get him. You know, they're not going to get him out there to screw him. And I don't mean in a in a way that's justifiable. Because this isn't like actual real political journalism. This is. A, the, the advocacy, there's a difference. So, I mean, I, I think people are are a little weary of having another five, four years of this, like, playing footsie with the enemy media. I mean, I know I'm sick of it. You know, they should get cut out because they cut us out. <laughs> so I just don't see it being any different. You know, someone was like, oh, Ron DeSantis cuts out the media. And he he doesn't talk to the mainstream media. Well, that's how is that any different than you know what what's her name? Um, any of these other like the White House, which you know only calls on certain people. You do you, you think any person can just go in and get a White House press credential to go in and ask a question of Karine Jean Pierre? No, only certain people, and only certain people can get c- c- credentials to go on Capitol Hill and cover Congress and the Senate. You have to meet a certain threshold. You know who the committee is that decides it? It's more of these advocate, you know, activist journalists. So, you know, the whole system is is, is kind of rigged. And it's good that DeSantis has no, no interest in it because it doesn't serve his purpose, which is communicating with the people.
1: Well, that's why it would be nice if we had a legitimate press corps instead of just propagandists and compliant scribes is to confront Ms. Uh, Jean-Pierre uh, to confirm the Biden, We our house almost burned down, or what did he mean when he told that man um, no one fucks with Biden, or confront on any of his numerous falsehoods. But they don't. The only time they really got 5C was when he called out Um, Jackie Walorski, who tragically died in a car accident and he was calling out her name that's the only time I've really seen them kind of get on her because her explanation was so pathetic but they don't and the only person who really kind of tries is is um uh um he's really the only one who will do anything and then who's the other guy Philip Wegman I don't know who he writes for he's yeah
0: he's a real clear politics yeah philip wegman but remember it go back imagine what it was remember not imagine go back and and remember what it was like during the trump press conference trump would get one question from one of these assholes and then the next question would be following up on the first guy's question like pounding him right there was like a gang It was like a gang rape over you know they were all like on the same thing over and over again now it's like Peter Doocy asks a question and you get some like half ass gibberish out of Jean-Pierre. And then the next question is completely different. Like it didn't happen. They're back on the narrative. Can you tell us more about global warming, Mr. Jean-Pierre? You know, like that. It, it's like he <laughs> never asked it. it. The dynamic is totally different. That's how you know that this is politically driven. Um, and, and honestly, who wants the media's fight with the president to be the news cycle? You know, when we have so many problems right now, I don't want it. I'm not interested in that. Um, No,
1: not at all. So um, <clears throat> uh, where is Biden going on this fine Thursday? Well, I guess it'll be over by the time our podcast is up. But
0: um, he must have him
1: of so many drugs to keep him quasi alert. Well,
0: he starts his day later when he has events in the afternoon. So. He's going to New York, and he's going to tour IBM up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Then he is going to deliver remarks on creating jobs in the Hudson Valley, lowering costs and ensuring the future is made in America, LOL. (laughs) And then he's going to New York, New York um, to participate in a DNC reception. And then he is participating in a Democrat senatorial campaign committee reception in new york so his day starts at 120 like like later today and he obviously has to travel to new york but you know his first like actual thing he's doing is at 120 p.m and that that that's hasn't happened yet we're taping before 120 p.m today um by tomorrow when you see when you hear this it'll have already happened so you know why he's going to new york i don't really know that's a safe democrat state it's not really a campaign not really good strategy, but so it should be good because he's given a couple speeches and that's always really like a bounty of mockery, fun for, for, for everybody. Good gifts come out of that.
1: For sure. No doubt. Um, so Liz, before we close up, I want to address the latest kerfuffle with David Wrench if you don't mind i know no. i can hear i could hear your eyes rolling but i have to do it go for it <laughs> so david french um for so his wife nancy three times once in 2016 once in 2017 once in 2018 used her um it's a confusing story but let's go with what she said in her second version of the story which is that she was 12 years old when she was molested by a youth pastor. The first time she wrote about it was in October of 2016, after the Access Hollywood tapes were released. And somehow, after keeping this buried for 36 some odd years, she claimed she had never talked about it before. It's unclear if her husband, David French, even knew about it. She said in an NPR interview, um, I told my therapist about it. My therapist said, well, why don't you go home and write about it and then come back and we'll talk about it. She did write about it, but then published it in the Washington Post, because, of course, that's what you do when you're traumatized and digging up old memories or trauma. You write an article and then you publish it in the Washington Post. So she did that. Anyway, the details of what happened are kind of vague, right? Let's vague to say the least. So it was unclear in her first article what age she was. She mentions the term pedophilia, but she also says things like we were in love, we were doing what people in love were, you know, he would come over, you know, when the parents weren't home, etc. So anyway, When she wrote her third article in 2018, she cited this once again as reason that if Brett Kavanaugh did what Christine Blasey Ford alleged and other women were kind of suggesting that he should not be on the Supreme Court. So she weaponized the story three times politically against Republicans. Suddenly, this story has disappeared. She has not used, dredged it up for any Democrat per se, including Joe Biden when Tara Reid came out with her accusations of sexual assault. Um, But anyway, setting that aside, the article in 2018 used this again. So in September of 2018, as I was, you know, saying these women coming forward with their stories that happened 30, 40 years ago has nothing to do with Brad Kavanaugh. So I tweeted out which she screwed around with her pastor when she was a teenager. That was my interpretation of the story anyway. Um, You know, this has nothing to do with. Brett Kavanaugh not serving on the Supreme Court, something along those lines. Anyway, David French cannot get over this tweet. Four years later, he's still raging about it. He used it in December of 2018 to launch the social media um, canceling crusade against me, which I think he thought was going to be successful, but it wasn't. Um, But it did unleash a lot of hatred in my direction, threats against me and my family, that sort of thing. A year later, he confronts Chris Buskirk, our editor, publisher at the Aspen Institute about this tweet, which he twisted and uh, actually in one tweet, he cut out the article that I linked to because he claimed that I should have read this 2017 article, which I didn't, that mentioned her name because she was using it against Roy Moore. Um, At any rate, publicly confronted Chris at this Aspen Institute in front of a room full of people about my tweet, wanting to know why he didn't apologize, demanding that I apologize. And of course, the the idea was that Chris Buskirk should get rid of me because of this tweet, something I should apologize for, which of course they never have, never will, and the tweet is still up. So he uh, not only tried to cancel me, he fueled all sorts of hatred my way and then tried to get me fired. So this sort of came up again, um, this past uh, week or so. And they've done this to the dispatch is doing this to other people. Um, And so uh, this, this kind of came out again this week, and the whole issue was dredged up again. He, of course, is portraying himself as the victim. He is not a victim, he is a liar. um, And he is a perpetrator. Of the very hate cancel culture, et cetera, that he um, it says that he is the victim of. So he's getting all sorts of uh, condemnations this week for pretending that he is the victim. And instead of the perpetrator and the liar for what he said about this tweet Liz, that it is now more than four years old. One sentence, four year old tweet. He can't get over. A- for it And is demanding that I apologize, which of course I won't. So anyway, that is the latest with, um, with David French, but he's denying all of this, even though there's, as Ace wrote up in his blog, um, and his uh, site this week, he gave a very detailed, uh, timeline of the whole story. So if anybody wants is interested in that for the actual facts, instead of David French's twisted mind, um, he also claimed in his uh, defense of himself that he posted this week, David French, that he never said that drag queen story hours, the blessing of liberty, of course, you can snatch it right from the New Yorker art article and see that that's exactly what he said. So he is claiming that all these people are lying about him. Oh, that's what started it is Todd Ezrin at the blaze he mentioned this again. And then Todd Ezrin came back and said that uh, David French had contacted the blaze about Todd's tweet that was dishonest saying that he said that drags drag queen story hours a blessing of liberty. So David French denies it, Todd and the blaze are sticking by that. Um, we don't have more details about it. But given David French's history and the people at the dispatch for trying to cancel, get people fired, they just did this to Nate Hookman, Hope, uh, I believe is how you pronounce his name at National Review, who was an intern at the dispatch. But now he's like a little more MAGA-ish, so the dispatch is trying to get him canceled as well. I think they did succeed in getting a fellowship partially taken away from him. So this this is what these degenerates do. Um, but that's that's the latest drama with David French. Um, so anybody um, who's looking for an explainer, that's that's my story.
0: I wonder, like, how long, like, are these folks in that little clique going to continue calling themselves like Republicans when they're not like actively working against Republican candidates and also like actively attacking center right writers. You know what I mean? It's like that their marketing over there is like, well, we're, you know, we're Republican They you know, they appear on the mainstream media and, on CNN or MSNBC, They're like, oh, we're going to turn to a Republican now. And it's like, what, what, you're, you're trashing people on the, on the right. You're working against Republican candidates. You're actively helping, um, working for Democrat candidates. Like earlier this, I think yesterday, Al Cardenas came out and he's supporting Annette Tadeo in Florida, who's a Democrat running against a Republican. And, and the reason that's interesting is that Al Cardenas is married to what's her name, Anna. What's her name? One of the other Lincoln project posse oh, people, um, Navarro, Anna yeah, Navarro. Navarro. Right. Right. So it's just like, what, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't read the dispatch or what? the bulwark. <laughs> um, I don't read what, they write like i just i just go out. i don't follow them so so i don't really even see that stuff retweeted in my timeline like i just don't i don't consider them like as influential you know what i mean and i'm not saying that it's not outrageous to try and get someone i mean i i wouldn't get someone fired for their job if they wrote something i didn't like you know i mean i don't know i just i think that's a a tactic of the left right that's what the left does um Certainly more than the right does. So, well, and you know, it's important It's been people. five years. Like, get the fuck over it already. I mean, I think the big issue with Mrs. French, what's her name again?
1: Nancy.
0: Nancy. Like, I think for me, because I do remember when that happened, only because the Kavanaugh hearing was such a big deal. Was that? Was that? Everybody knew that the sh- stuff against Kavanaugh was bullshit. So it's like why are you inserting yourself into that and almost like giving it more credibility as an accusation? You know, it's like, nobody thinks that child molester should be put into positions of authority and put into government and, you know, whatever, rewarded with, you know, seat on the Supreme Court. But, nope, but the issue is that Brett Kavanaugh wasn't a child molester. He wasn't like a rapist. So, you know, and I think going along with it, I mean, I found that kind of offensive. It's just like, why are you, why are you giving this any credence by, you know, inserting yourself into this? Like when it, you should have immediately dismissed, it should be immediately dismissed as so many other people did. I don't know. Like I said, I don't read that stuff. I don't know why these people, they're relevant only to Democrats. They're like straw men that the Democrats set up to say, oh, these are the sensible Republicans and they're sensible because they're really us. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry,
1: Julie. Also- we would never fire you at am greatness. It, 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 that all of these um, never Trump outlets and of course the dispatch is one of them, except some sort of funding from the left. So the dispatch, even though they had just gotten started, this is Jonah Goldberg and Stephen Hayes, the losers from uh, one loser from Weekly Standard, one loser from National Review they founded the dispatch. even though it was a brand new entity, they were basically a blog. They still are a blog. Oddly, Facebook, um, hired them as fact checkers. So they are paid, quote unquote, fact checkers for Facebook. Facebook is one of their paymasters. So that is why a lot of the things that they report or comment on are very pro, you know, regime pro left wing. Um, you know, that's why they're always shooting to the right instead of to the left because they're paid by, you know, one of their funders is, is, is Mark Zuckerberg. So there you go.
0: Um, but they're not even never Trumpers. This is like how you can kind of tell what the game is. It's not enough to say we don't like Trump. We think he's unethical, blah, blah, blah. But they're also like, they also hate Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis is like, doesn't have all the stuff that they said they didn't like about Trump, right? Oh, he's bombastic. He's out of control. He's all over Twitter, making threats to people. You know, DeSantis isn't, doesn't have those doesn't have those qualities. so but then they don't like DeSantis and then as I mentioned, Al Cardenas came out and he's supporting Adem, Annette Tadeo against her Republican challenger. Like wh- you know what you're not Republicans. you know you're not conservative. like what what about you makes you think that you are like what what political policy positions do you hold right? I mean none of these people who claim to be Republicans were can give Trump any credit on all his pro-life stuff. Which he's done more than any of the other Republican presidents ever, um, you know. So it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting situation because we know the money trail, and we know that when you are getting paid by rich leftists, then there's like a kind of implicit like quid pro quo. Like we're giving you millions of dollars, ergo dot dot dot. You're going to you know advance our agenda, which is to make Uh, the majority of the actual Republican party look like crazy people and you're the only sane ones and of course going after someone like Julie who you know um, would never be fired by American greatness um, because she's just a national treasure even if she likes Def Leppard more than Depeche mode I'll let that go I also let the Sammy Uh, Hagar David Lee Roth thing go that's fine Um, but it's good that you stick up for yourself and you know I don't know I just At the end of the day, Julie, I just don't know how much influence these people have actually on the electorate. They may have a lot of influence in the media, you know, because they're part of the media. They're part of the cocktail circuit thing. They're invited to go places where they would never get invited if they were, you know, on the right um, because they, they, they have the correct positions. But, you know, then you're not really you're not really, you know, reflective of this political party you claim you represent. So I just you know, I just think it's like a internet, internet thing with them, you know, they're, I'm like, have you heard that I'm huge on the internet or something like that? (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, and it's, um, that you also get the sense they're really desperate for friends because no one probably can stand to be around them in real life. Well, that's possible. Um, although I think they
0: do make friends at the cocktail parties, right? Like and they go to all the right events and stuff and all the season, the season of socializing and at like the White House correspondence Dinner, you know, maybe they sit at the same table as their CNN friends, MSNBC <laughs> friends and stuff. And, you know, they yuck it up with like the um, big elected official, you know, the cabinet secretaries are all like a happy family. Um, but, you know, that's about, they're, they're not really reflective, I think, of the of the esprit de corps let's say so that's my position honestly I just kind of consider that stuff like gum you know when you get gum on the bottom of your foot and you're walking and you're like oh my shoe is sticking weird and then you look and you're like oh man I have gum on the bottom of my shoe and then you find a step and you're like scraping it off the bottom of your shoe you're like scraping off that red color on your Louboutins you know at the bottom of them you're getting rid of it so it sucks yeah that's that's about that's my two cents so whatever but good for you Julie for speaking out and that's uh, that's our hour, which went by very quickly. Do you think I talk too much?
1: <laughs> no, I think I talk too much. I kind of know. I had to about the David French thing. So I apologize. We probably have no listeners at this point. So we
0: should just.
1: No, wrap we, up. I'm sure we do. We have.
0: You think they dropped? Like all of a sudden <laughs> it was from like just down, down in the zero. No one's listening. But we. We we love we love you listeners who ever stuck around for our whole hour. Thank you so much. Um, are we going to be back next week? Yes, we are. All right. We will be back next week. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. Have a glorious seven days and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz.